right, welcome on in, everybody. Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale with you. Our guest today, Real Salt Lake General Manager, Elliot Fall. We'll get into some very philosophical areas with Elliot. Elliot has been with Real Salt Lake since April of 2007, going on 14 years. I guess I will take the bullet for being blamed with the Elliot Fall hire. As a communications intern, Elliot uh, brought a love of videography into the club at a time when multimedia was very, very rare, new around sports teams. He is uh, to be credited as we get into here a little bit with uh, with filming the the first episodes of the Javi and Kyle show. I think that was his idea. Um, a lot of what we try to talk about in this um uh, Interview, which hopefully is just the first of of many frequent appearances with Elliot going down the road. Um, we talked about the RSL Way document, how that came together, the the process that he and Rob Zarcos, Tony Beltran, Freddie Juarez, John Kimball, um, many many others, too many people to name in the organization that that put that together and touched that and you know that's going to be a constant theme uh, throughout not just the as we get to hopefully preseason here in, in a few months, but uh, the, the season and the next few years, because the RSL way is out there. It, uh, as Elliot explains, it, it provides a vehicle by which the club can hold itself accountable. But there is room, as, as I kind of mentioned here to Elliot, that there's room for expansion, there's room for nuance, there's room for detail as the sport, as the league, as business, as media, as everything evolves. So excited to get into this conversation with Elliot. We try to pin him down a little bit, Ryan, on his favorite memories. And he picked some pretty large tent pole, I think, developments in the history of RSL. He didn't want to get into uh, some of the nitty-gritty. So next time he's here, we'll have to pin him down. We'll wear him down for sure. I was thinking in the in the spirit of uh, the Javi and Kyle show, I think a lot of people were, um, you know, there's people that are fans of the team that came closer to the team because of digital media. I guess I'm a little biased yeah. when I'm talking about how important that is. We're about to throw out the the call to have people send in their, their sure. memories. I'd like to hear like what people, what little weird media, social media, video, whatever, mm-hmm. Maybe that can be our, our assignment for this episode. Well, there we go. Yeah, if if you'd like to share your fave RSL or other memory, and as Ryan just said, social media, I don't know, video, Vine was a big thing. Uh, when we have Tyler Gibbons on, we can talk about the technology behind his HD Vines, which uh, broke the mold, actually. But... Please go on to anchor.fm slash claret and cobalt. Use the message function, or you can email a voice memo from your phone to rsltray at gmail.com. We love your feedback, your banter, your uh, constructive criticism, your guest ideas, and any other themes. And uh, I guess one of the things while we're talking about the Javi and Kyle show and Elliot, for me, Ryan, and I think I've, I've mentioned this, in certain forums, but one of the critical things that Javi and Kyle, and it happened very organically because we started doing those shows pretty early in, um, I think it was 2008. 
which was Javi's first full season and Kyle's first full season with RSL. But those two had a very unique way to break down clicks that traditionally exist in Major League Soccer locker rooms along cultural lines or language barrier lines. And um, I think when you look at DC United or Chicago Fire or the LA Galaxy, some of the, the early dynasties in MLS, they generally found a way, and sometimes it only happened out on the field, where those uh, those clicks were busted up and you had a cohesive locker room. But that was certainly a, a hallmark of of RSL from you know 2008 to 14, 15. And I think Javi and Kyle deserve a lot of credit for for chipping away at, at, at what might have resulted in kind of multiple disparate groups. I think uh, Andy Williams was another guy that did a great job kind of unifying all sides of the locker room. And, um, and we can get into those, those discussions, those memories, uh, those anecdotes down the road. But for now, let's leave it at that. And upcoming Real Salt Lake General Manager, Elliot Fall. All right, welcome back in. We are pleased, honored. I can come up with a many, many superlatives, but overall just ecstatic to have Real Salt Lake General Manager Elliot Fall here making his debut journey on the Bleeding Claret and Cobalt podcast. Elliot, thank you for taking the time as we try to celebrate the past, present, future of Real Salt Lake without pontificating too much. No, well, th- uh, thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm thrilled to be on, and as we all know, we love to we love to chat RSL and chat soccer, and that's what we're here for. Obviously, some strange times with COVID over the last year plus. A lot of uncertainty. Hopefully, some things are rounding into focus with the season and the CBA and and things swirling, but. That is not our purpose to examine some of those things. I think what what we want to dive into, and I'll start with uh, last week's release of the RSL Way document, something that people might have known was in the works or coming down the pipe just because of your references to it, I think, with sure. uh, the RSL show guys and Spencer Checkets and a few other uh, media opportunities. But, you know, what is your take on... Not only how that's been, I guess, received in the early going here by by the club, by people internally, uh, fans externally, but also um, I, I'd love to hear you talk about the work that you and Tony and Rob and, and many others, John Kimball, uh, put into that. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I think first and foremost, the the internal reception, uh, has, has been fantastic. Um, and and I think part of that is because there's been an effort in constructing it to, to get feedback all along. So it's, you know, it was, you know, it was a document and kind of, uh, I think it's more than a document. It's a, it's a, it's a framework and, a and an outline for who we want to be and how we want to be it. Um, and, and it's something that really, we spent, you know, I don't even, uh, countless hours yeah. discussing um, over the last 15, 18 months, um, you know, from, from when Tony came on, 
you know, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it started when t- Tony and I, you know, before pre-COVID, we were, you know, we we live near each other and we work in Harriman together and it's a long drive. So we carpooled um, many days to the office. And, and honestly, we just spent, you know, we'd spend hours in the car. And that's, that was kind of the genesis of a lot of it. Just, just where we had the conversation about, all right, how are we going to, how do we build this into be what, what we know it can be and what we, you know, what we want it to be. Um, and obviously Rob played a, you know, a big role in that as well. You know, it was really kind of digging in and, and, and building out the framework. Um, and so everybody's been bought in from day one. I mean, sure. it, you know, it's, um, Tony did an incredible job of, of kind of courting feedback from, from people throughout the organization and, and outside of the organization as well on, on kind of what it should look like and, and how to properly implement it. And, um, and so, you know, that's the internal side of it. The, quite honestly, the external side of it, I'm not entirely sure. I've gotten, you know, some texts from people that, that really like it. Yeah. And, but I, uh, I avoid social media and, and any of any of that type of stuff. So I haven't really seen a lot of what the, the external feedback is, but you know, it, it's everything I've heard has been positive and, 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 you know, we're just really excited to to kind of have something, you know, I, I think the other important side of it is it's, it's not even just a document. It's, this is something that, that, we internally believe in and, and that we, um, have tried to live by, uh, but we now have it, it part, part of putting it out there is, is to hold ourselves accountable, sure. to hold everybody internally accountable. And, and, you know, from the outside, you can look at it and say, okay, this is, this is who, you know, who we are, who we need to be and, and how we need to, to operate. Um, and, uh, and, I'm sure, I'm sure people will, people will call us to task at times, but that's, that's what it should be. Um, you know, the, the, the club needs that. Yeah. Well, I think it's exciting. And I, I think the timing of it, um, was critical, right? It sends, like you said, it sends a message that we want to hold ourselves accountable, that we, here's the, here's the talk we're going to talk. And now we got to walk the walk kind yeah. of message. Yeah. Um, and everything I've heard and read from Tony to yourself to John Kimball talking about the implementation, uh, Chris Camrani with a great piece in The Athletic that hit earlier this week uh, examining the evolution of the document. Um, what what do you think it is about this club that gets into people's blood, that, that gets under the skin for players, staff, fans, et cetera, past present you know people that have left and want to come back there seems to be something very special about the hope dream and vision of rsl its place in the community and um you know it's just something that i've tried to dig into a little bit with everybody i've talked to over the last several months both before i got back into utah and and since i've been back and it's it's hard to kind of put a finger on but i think it's amazing that it is a constant thread sure i mean look you in some ways you can't put your finger on it and that's what makes it special. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, you know, I think this club has in its brief history, 
really kind of become a core part of, of, you know, the fabric of the community, um, as well as, you know, a really, a really uh, almost evolutionary piece of, of the soccer landscape in this country. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, when this is something I haven't even spent that much time thinking about this. So, you know, I'm just thinking it through right now, but you think back on on the fact that you know the club was founded in 2005 or started playing in 2005 um and and really you know first of all found obviously the first couple of years not a lot of success on the field but but pretty quickly thereafter found a lot of success um and, and it was just kind of this perfect storm where you know you know this community well and you know i grew up in in utah and and you know we we for years you know had the jazz who were extremely successful always kind of on the verge of a championship but never got over the hump and you know i think when we were able to get over that hump when we were able to win that championship it really kind of established this club as as a core piece of this community. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, cause th- this is a community that's always been starved for success, um, you know, for a championship for, for all of that. And, and, and this club was able to bring it, um, and, and brought it in a, you know, in a way that was fun and, you know, was, you know, it was on the heels of opening a new soccer specific stadium in, a league that's really, you know, booming and and growing and bringing in, you know, worldwide names, you know, obviously we beat the galaxy and David Beckham in the final. And it just kind of was this perfect storm to become, um, to, to become what, what we did. And, and, you know, and then that coupled with the fact that you had some really, you know, visionary people, behind the scenes that, that drove us to those heights. And, and, you know, there's, frankly, there's too many to name, but you've got obviously the big ones, Garth and Jason and Bill Manning, and, you know, even all the way up to Dave Checkets. And it was just this, there was, there always seemed to be this, this vision Mm -hmm. and this idea of what we could be, you know, if we were all bought in and, and all invested and, uh, you could see that from the outside. And so I think that's another part of what, what made it so special. Uh, and, you know, going back to the RSL way, Tony and I were both a part of that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we talked a lot about how, how that, that was a special time and it was a special group. It was a special group for a long time. And it wasn't that, that, that there's no one person that was responsible for that either. Sure. It, it, it really became an ethos. It became who we were. Um, and it was, all right, let's, we need to get that back. And so, you know, having, having something we all believe in and having something to, having that, that framework and that outline, um, is a great start and a great kind of scaffolding to, to, to build upon. Um, so, you know, I think that's, you know, God, I just talked for 
10 minutes and I don't even know if I answered your question. No, but it's it, good. It's, it's a lot to explore there. Cause like there's part of me, obviously winning that MLS cup in 2009 was amazing on a number of levels. And as you said, it kind of, uh, cemented our place in this community. There's part of me now, 10 years plus later that, and it's funny cause we're both lifelong career sports guys but I almost want to ask, like, is it fair, is it right that winning, do you have to win to validate what a lot of things that were being done right and are being done right? Because you talk about the people behind that, and certainly, you know, Deloitte came in and has overseen just a phenomenal five-year run of growth for this club, for the infrastructure of the club, for the sport in this community, and, you know, we talk about the NWSL and we talk about the academy and the USL. You look at what's happening at youth facilities that didn't even exist three and a half years ago, all with the name of giving people that dream, that aspiration to play with that RSL shield on their chest. And, you know, I, I do want to kind of get into the academy at some point because it has become a big focus for Certainly Dallas and New York and RSL are regarded as having the the best academies. And, you know, it's it's almost like, okay, is Dallas's academy at a certain level just because they sold Brian Reynolds or whoever for X amount to this club? RSL has been judged maybe at times harshly because we haven't had that big five ten million million transfer. But if you look at the RSL roster right now, you've got quite a number of kids that came up through this system that has challenged what was the MLS kind of status quo for a number of years where it's whoever's spending the most money. So I'm trying to get a little philosophical with you here, and I apologize for twisting several concepts into that <laughs> into that uh, preamble. But how do you kind of sit in your position after a year plus and say, okay, here's our, here's our vision, here's our plan. Obviously, everybody wants to win hardware. Yeah. And – I guess what kind of got me into this space is we won in 09. You know, Jason and Garth insisted that, that was a year ahead of plan. We were in three other finals after that under those two and didn't win any of them. But that is, those are the glory days. That's the gold standard that I think this club is trying to get back to, right? It was where you're competing for that much hardware and keeping that kind of consistency. And I mean, averaging 55 points a year, I think, through a five year span. Is incredible. Yeah, I mean, and, and look, it, it's a really tricky one. So it's it's competition. Yeah. You know, we're in this, you know, I, I can tell you on our end, everybody wants to win, and, and we want to win trophies, and, and we want to, um, you know, we want to be at the pinnacle uh, of the sport in this country. Um but then the question becomes how do you get, how do you do yeah. that and what what's the what's the best way to build to build a champion and and kind of i think one one of the things you touched on which is interesting is um you know we won in 09 but 09 is not the best team we ever had at least not in my opinion <laughs> 11 12 and 7 yeah i mean you know like even you look at 2010 and we we started 1 3 and 1 mm. and then we lost one game the rest of the year um, but we lost in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. So, 
you know, I, I actually think, I, I think you kind of hit on something there, which is t- to me, if we're able to build, we're able to build something that is c- consistently competitive, like, like we were, um, look, then yeah, you need some things to break your way to win the trophies. But if you put yourself in that position enough times, they're going to break your way and you're going to win. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think the goal and, and the, you know, the underlying kind of, I guess, ethos or motivation Mm -hmm. is, is to build something consistent and sustainable. Um, you know, it's not about catching lightning in a bottle. It's about, it's about building. And I, I, so I, this touches then on the next thing, which is the academy and Mm -hmm. and development. And that's, that's why we're so invested in, in development and why we're so invested in the process is we firmly believe that that is how you build a sustainable, Mm. high level competitive environment is, is by, by, creating layer after layer after layer of successful, you know, piece of the program. Yeah. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, when you're talking to parents or agents or players locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, how do you, and I'm going to use a bad word here. I don't mean how do you sell them on that vision, but how do you, how do you explain to them that ethos and, and what exists here? Cause I remember as you do, you know, talking to Garth, the Garth's like, Hey, for Saberio, I just had to show him pictures of the mountains and full stadium. And he was interested cause it reminded him of successful times in his career. Sure. It's probably not always quite that simple. Yes. And no, <laughs> I mean, look at part of it though, is, is you have to, you have to be able to identify with each individual um, what it is that motivates them mm-hmm. and what, what it is about the project that excites them and make sure that they know that, that you know, we fit into that. Um, so it's there's not one answer to that question. Um, you know, like, let's, let's take when we're, you know, when we're talking to parents at an academy level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important that they understand that that not only do we care about their their kid and the you know the development the soccer development that they're going to that they're going to have but th- that we care about them as people and and develop them as people as well right. um, and, and put them in a safe environment and you know so there's there's different layers of it there you know when you're when you're speaking with international players it's you know it's another thing it's it's mm-hmm. opportunities in a different way you know i think a lot of it comes down to opportunity right it's you're 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 pitching somebody on um on a project and on being a part of that project and and you know everybody fits into it differently um but how there you you can marry their success with with our success and how mm. those you know those align with one another um and so yeah again i mean it's it's a little different with each with each individual case and i mean that's what makes it fun and challenging sure. right is is that you know we have to be able to recognize that and and adapt um 
um, adapt to it. And then, and then frankly, sometimes you get into it and you realize, you know what, this, this isn't a fit. Mm. This doesn't, and you also have to be, to be able to recognize that and, and take a step back and say, you know, you're, you're great, you know, this, whatever, whatever the, you know, whatever the piece of it is, it just, it just, you know, we're not aligned right now. And, and, you know, you can't be afraid of that. Um, and you have to be, to be willing to, to pull the plug on things too. Yeah. It's a chance to be creative. Um, speaking of creativity, your roots in this club came from the videography communication side. Then you became a team administrator the Javi and Kyle show side. <laughs> That's right. You were the basically the creator of the Javi and Kyle show. Um, what are your what are your favorite memories of of this club? I know it spans a long time, 13, 14 years now. Um man, it's I mean it's look, it's a great question. We could go on for we could have a twelve part podcast. Family just, friendly just show. Telling stories about uh about RSL history. Um, I mean, look, we could do a series just on Jason getting mad at you for not being able to be in 13 different places simultaneously. <laughs> I'm going to reserve comment on that. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, look, the... Man, what do I remember? It, the opening of the stadium was incredible. The... Mm. Um, I mean, let me be more specific. You were a fan of the club before you were an employee of the yeah, club. Yeah. And why were you a fan? I mean, I grew up playing the game. I loved soccer, you know, and I, I'm a Utah kid and, you know, I grew up a mile from Rice Eccles and to have a major league soccer team in my backyard was really cool. Um, and you know, the sport that I grew up playing, the sport that I loved, mm. you know, to have the highest level of that sport, you know, in our country, you know, a mile away, it was, it, yeah. it was awesome. Um, you know, that said, I mean, I, I didn't have that long of being a fan before I became an employee <laughs> either. You know, right. I, I came on in April of 2007, um, when the, you know, as an intern, when, you know, I had, I had tried to get an internship for a little bit. And when they, you know, when the guy finally texted me back, um, and invited me, you know, to come to I the I don't game. know why Colluder was keeping you at bay for so long. <laughs> um, it wasn't Colluder. It was somebody whose name rhymes with Schmray Schmitz Schmerald. With a hyphen? Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, I kid. Um. No, so I, you know, I, I've, from that point on, from April of 07 on, I, you know, I've essentially been an employee of the club. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, there's so many special moments and just so many things that, that really, you know, some of the best moments of my life were, you know, this, this club played a role in, sure. um, you know, winning the Rocky Mountain Cup for the first time <laughs> in Colorado, uh, and those Champions League runs, man, that was, or the 2010-11 Champions League, that was as fun as Special. it got. I mean, it was it was just incredible. Um, being a part of that, being in the locker room for that was just, it was so fun. Um, so, you know, there's, frankly, there's a lot, but, but, you know, those are the ones that kind of stick out. The, obviously winning the championship, opening the stadium, the Champions League, 
those are those are the biggest ones I think. What um one of the things that stuck out to me a few weeks ago when Pablo Mastroini was talking about you and Freddie and his decision to come to Salt Lake. Obviously, <laughs> Pablo's place in RSL lore uh, deserves its own uh, chapter. Um, <laughs> but I was very impressed, obviously, that he he chose to cite how you and Freddie are aligned on your vision for for what this club can be, should be, and where it's going. So I guess, and I asked Tony and, and Rob a similar, I guess, question, but what's that dynamic like, that process where you, Tony, Rob, Freddie, are, you've reshaped the, the staff a little bit. Um, there's always movement in a sports organization, expansion of, yeah. of roles. Um, this club has gone down the road, not just in the academy, um, but sports science has been a big push in recent years. Um, I think there's a lot of things that happen kind of on the technical side that that fans would love to gain a little bit of insight into. And obviously we never want to give away anything that, that tips a competitive edge. But this league, this sport, this club has grown a lot in a short period of time. But specific to, to your situation and how you kind of lead that process with Freddie, Rob, Tony, many others, um, and I don't know if you want to be specific to to the conversations with Pablo or just in general how you guys have kind of gone into evaluating a very difficult COVID affected twenty twenty year that basically had three distinct sections sure. to trying to to plan for twenty twenty one and um, and build around what I think is a extremely talented core. Um, on the field, but with, you know, the philosophies that you guys all embrace, that dynamic off the field. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it just, it starts with communication and, and um, you know, I do certainly think that, you know, Freddie and, and his staff and, you know, our entire staff, for, first of all, you know, I hate, I hate when people, when people act like it's, you know, the, the front office, the technical staff, and then there's the coaching staff and like, we're all part of the same yeah, staff sure. and, and, and look, the, the honest truth is we all want the same things. Mm-hmm. We all want to win. We all want to put the best team together and, and put the best team on the field. Now, are we always going to agree on everything? No, but like we shouldn't agree on everything. Yeah. And, and frankly, if we are agreeing on everything, then that just means somebody's not telling the truth. Somebody's not, eh, sorry. What that means is somebody's not comfortable giving their full opinion because mm-hmm. you know there's no time where you sit in a room with you know 10 different people and everybody has the Agrees. same opinion i mean yeah. you know but that's what makes it a constructive environment is that we all feel comfortable expressing our opinions and we all feel comfortable that if you know anybody in the room can express their opinion if i don't agree with it that doesn't mean that i'm gonna you know i have anything i have an issue with that person sure or, you know, I'm going to hold it against that person. Oh, or that or, friction yeah, polishes the, the final project ex- product. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I think what's important is that we all have a consistent belief of, um, you know, the, the broader structure of how we get there. Um, and we do have that. Uh, and, you know, Freddie 
Freddie's a guy that came up through our academy and and came up in the youth game and then and then was with the Monarchs and then and then worked mm-hmm. on the first team staff after that and you know in a lot of ways it, it's it's a lot like my path up through the organization and so you know we have a lot of those similarities and we we both believe in that development and we believe in the structure um and so you know it's just about having open dialogue and, and constant communication where you know again i'm not going to agree with everything freddie says or does all the time but that's okay mm-hmm. that, that, that's i don't i don't want that um and and it, that goes for everybody on our staff and i think it's important that everybody on our staff understand that whether that be you know one of the coaches with freddie or one of the you know the technical side staff members or you know sports science mm-hmm. guys or you know analytics or administrators you know yeah. it's it's important that um that we all have you know have the ability to to make the impact that we're capable of making how are you feeling with um i know we can't get into any specifics but obviously um there's a core group of guys coming back from last year you're in the middle of exploring free agency talking to players from agents from all over the world um obviously Ochoa and Herrera getting called into the U.S. was a big deal unfortunately David got uh, a little nick but uh, we got the news a few days ago that Aaron is going to be part of the game day roster so that's awesome um how is that process kind of going um amid the uncertainty of kind of thinking you know hopefully when the season yeah. starts but uh i know there's a lot of details swirling and and maybe as some of those things gain clarity and you can put a flag in the ground that the, the the club will be able to announce more deals but just the process the procedure the the constant i guess churn that goes into building a roster how is how are you feeling about that here in uh late january sure yeah i mean look i think we feel um generally really good about about a lot of the things that that we're working on um you know we have we have a handful of conversations going and and deals hopefully in the pipeline um you know hopefully those uh you know we get those across the finish line and who knows by the time this comes out maybe maybe (laughs) maybe some of them will be across the finish line um you know obviously we have some uncertainty with the ownership situation. So it's, it's important that we also um, maintain some flexibility so that when that is, you know, sorted out and there's some finality to it, that, that we have the ability to, to kind of introduce the vision of the new owner as well. Um, And that's something that, that we're very cognizant of, but it's been really fun to, to still be able to make some decisions that we think can, can really have a positive impact on our group. And then, uh, and then we'll we'll see what happens uh, when when everything's sorted out. We we've alluded to opportunity development, um, some of those things earlier. Um, we're hoping to have Arnold Reisenberg on the pod here soon, but he's somebody that you and Rob and Tony and and everybody that's come across him has spoken glowingly of. So what what does it mean for somebody in your position to have such a, a strong asset? such as Arnold and his history with the Belgium um, setup. Um, 
to have that in your uh, ballpark, I guess, yeah. if you will, out in Harriman. Yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome. Um, Arnold obviously has incredible experience uh, developing players, you know, players that have gone on, I mean, to do unbelievable things, you know, really yeah. special, special talents. Um, and he's bringing a lot of that to, to our academy, and we're really excited about it. Um, you know, I think it's it's important that, you know, in everything that we do, we need to have the best people we can get. Um, and, and Arnold certainly fits the bill. Um, you know, if we want to become what we believe we can be, it's, it's imperative that, you know, that we bring in the best, um, and, and give them, you know, give them the, the blank canvas to, to work on. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun working with Arnold and, and, I think we're only scratching the surface of what he can bring to the table. I know it's been a strange kind of uh, time and environment with with COVID and the different seasons, and and I've only been back since you know mid October, so I haven't you know seen as much as you know I'd like to. Hopefully in twenty twenty one, but I was reading an article in the Athletic today about the coaches, and you and I have both talked about this with Jason and and others in the past, but. Coach, MLS coaches that go to a different club every offseason. And I remember the first time Jason came back from, I think it was Bayern Munich in Germany, and he's like, you know, we don't really do things all that differently than they do. They've got deeper pockets, more resources, more coaches, probably more science and data and some of that stuff that we didn't really have here yet six, seven years ago. But um, there's a story in there, and I think it was – Frank Klopas talking about he'd go to Barcelona's first team training in the morning, and then the second team actually had Messi and Xavi and some other you know Barca. I think Iniesta was the other legend that he mentioned, and then the and then they'd stay for the academy trainings, and everything was staggered. And it made me kind of have a little kernel of a thought here about how much opportunity, and maybe this has been provided a little more by COVID than normal, but do the like Freddie's staff, Hamason's staff, and Arnold's setup kind of have an opportunity to co-mingle and really help build that consistent philosophy throughout the pyramid. Yeah, I mean, look, that's it's critical to to our success mm-hmm. is that is that from the top down we be um, aligned and that we have the ability for for pieces to kind of move freely up and down, um, you know, the ladder for a million different reasons. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and, and it be, it's, it's also crucial that, you know, each level of that, um, each level of the organization be, you know, finely tuned and, and, and set up for success in its, in its mission. Mm. Um, you know, whether that be the first team going out and winning games on, on Saturdays and, um, you know, competing for a title all the way down to the, you know, the youth development Academy guys identifying talent, uh, both in, you know, in our community and, and other communities. So, you know, each level of the the ladder has has its own kind of purpose and, and mm. multiple purposes in many cases. But 
um, you know, to, to kind of, to get back to it, it's, it's the fact that we can have an environment where, you know, Freddie can wake up in the morning and, you know, find out a player, you know, has a knock and, Mm -hmm. or it doesn't feel great today or whatever it is. And he's out of training today and he can pick up the phone and he can call Hamason or he can call Arnold and he can say, I need, you know, I need an attacking midfielder. Send me your best attacking midfielder. Okay. He'll be at training. And, you know, that ability for our academy players and for, you know, the Monarchs players to be exposed to that level, to test themselves at that level Mm -hmm. and to sharpen themselves at that level is critical. Um, and, and it will only, in the long run, it will only create an environment where, you know, we can create the best players. This is probably part of the RSL way that has not yet been released because it's the soccer side and maybe it'll never be publicly available, but I guess share your thoughts on, you know, something that's been, I guess, debated in the sport in our country for at least 20 years, probably longer, but kind of that push-pull yin-yang between winning and development at different levels. Yeah. Because in your previous discussion, it kind of sounds like you have identified what constitutes success, but you didn't say winning at the young levels, right? Yeah, it's 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 not. And and look, I think as you go further along and as you go further along the the levels, then winning becomes more and more important. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I mean, at a U13, U14, U15 level, does it matter if we win? No, um, not really. It matters that we're doing things the right way, and it mad. And, and look, I do, I do believe that if we can consistently, you know, apply our principles and and do things the right way, that you know that will create an environment where you know winning is is a part of it. But mm. you know look, we've all seen in, in youth sports and, and it's, it happens all over in youth soccer. I mean, you know, you could have, you could have a, let's, let's just say you 13, you know, you could go out and you could have a thir- you know, a 12 or 13 year old kid that's eight inches taller than everybody else. And physically he's going to go out and dominate. So yeah, a team can just lump some balls up to this kid and he's going to score five goals mm-hmm. a game. And, and, but he may not be the most talented player on the field. And, you know, so Though, though we may lose that game, you know, our U13s may lose that game in two years when our, when our kids have physically developed and, and our, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is the physical development plays mm-hmm, a big role sure. in it. And, you know, suddenly they're going to be, they're going to be able to pass those, you know, pass those other teams off the field. Or, I mean, there's, there's a million different examples of, of why, especially at the youngest ages, winning isn't the most important thing. Um, you know, but, but on the flip side, it's also important that we not create an environment where it's okay to, um, where it's okay to cut the corners and mm. it, where it's okay. I, I don't want to say it's not okay to lose cause it's okay to lose, but it's gotta be done in the right way. Mm. Um, and that's the important thing, uh, is that, you know, we're continually, you know, look, it's kind of like the RSL way. Um, we're going to make some decisions that that we get wrong um but if we we live by our principles and we and we apply our principles and you know we we apply our process to it 
in the long run, I think we're going to make, we're going to make good decisions. And, and because of that, we're going to build a, a, a winner and a contender and, you know, hopefully lift some trophies. So, um, it's not about any one decision. It's not any yeah. about any one result. It's, it's about the, the bigger picture. I think that is a fantastic message, um, to send to the fans. So I'm not going to ask a follow-up question. I do appreciate in your example emphasizing something I've been trying to prove my whole life, which is that it's not all about height. There's yeah. other factors that into yeah. play. We were thinking about you. Thank you. No, I think that uh, the ethos, the decision-making process, that's exactly what I think uh, you know fans want to hear, and now we've got it out there um, for all to read and adhere for, to. And For sure. The the great thing that I'll give you and Elliot and sorry you and Tony and John Kimball and Rob and everybody credit for is just it, it's it's such a set of principles, but it also leaves room for expansion and nuance and everything in between. Yeah, and and look, you need that. It's to me, it's it's about it's about it's about guiding guiding the process you know, in, in, in a way that we believe we're comfortable standing behind. Um, and you know, I've said this to a lot of people in our organization, um, over the last, you know, three, six, 12 months, you know, we're consistently confronted with decisions that we have to make. Um, and the first thing you need to do when you've got a decision to make is think about what's the right thing to do. What's the right way to treat people? What's the right, what's the right way. And, and look, I, I understand that, that right. There's some ambiguity to that um, and some nuance to it. But, but what I'm getting at is let's not worry about, you know, the budget first or this or that first it's, what do we as, as human beings, what do we as people believe is the right thing to do moving forward? Okay. How do we do that? Let's, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's let that be our guiding principle. Um, and, and so I think that's really what it's about. It's not about any one specific decision being made any one specific way. It's, it's about, I mean, it's as simple as doing what's right. Yeah. Elliot, thank you for your time. Can't wait to have you on again when we can maybe talk a little more specifically about preseason and roster and the excitement that comes with having a season. But uh, hopefully, hopefully 2021 puts us in that position relatively soon. For sure. No, thanks. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I look forward to it. All right. That's uh, Real Salt Lake General Manager Elliot Fall. Thank you to Elliot. And... We'll be back right after this. All right, great stuff there from Elliot talking RSL way and many, many other very philosophical, nuanced concepts that uh, hopefully will guide us all throughout the 2021 MLS and RSL season. Thank you for listening. As always, please connect with us. Twitter, Instagram, at Claret Cobalt. Always up to hear from you. We want to hear RSL memories, corrections, omissions, guest ideas, or whatever. 
Uh, we're here for you to celebrate the past, present, and future of Real Salt Lake. This show, Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, is produced independently by me, Trey Fitzgerald, and Mountaineer Media, recorded at Mountaineer Studios in Draper, Utah. The views expressed on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of Real Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. Again, please share anchor.fm slash claret and cobalt using the message function or send a voice memo to rsltray at gmail.com. Give us your favorite claret and cobalt memories. Thanks again. We will talk to you all very, very soon.